fight you know what I mean um, like I was telling the fellas I mean when you see a fight like that it's, it's you can't complain about nothing you can't ask for nothing more than what they provided they gave us their energy they gave us their time and they gave us their well-being inside of the ring and they left it all and like Sean Porter said he wouldn't have died at night and I mean and it showed it, it definitely showed was it the statement win that you were looking to see from Errol Spence Jr. Uh, I thought I would just, see, I thought, to be honest, I'm always a realist. I thought I would see a domination. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, no, 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 let me rephrase that. I, I, not a domination. I wouldn't say it was just going to be one. When I say domination, I don't mean one-sided. You know what I mean? I, I thought it was going to be more of a viewers looking in, and you could tell who would win. You could tell who okay. would be the winner. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Beautiful Boxing Podcast. It's always hard following Deontay Wilder as certain heavyweights are finding out but i thought we just touch on you know obviously spence versus porter unification for the ibf and the wbc welterweight titles a fight that if you're a boxing connoisseur if you're a fan of big fights and not not overhyped fights legit big fights where there's meaning in two people fighting each other where there's been a build-up and this is the natural culmination of where we are this is the fight for you. This last what happened last night was what boxing fans live for. What happened last night is the kind of thing that if you're a boxing fan, you'll tell your kids, you'll show your kids, and your kids will fall in love with boxing too. It's the it that is the kind of fight that makes you a fan of boxing. That's the kind of fight that should be shown on repeat regularly. Because it'll inspire some kids somewhere to take up the sport that we all love. So today I just want to really talk about that. I, I, there were other fights on the card, obviously, but I think what people stayed up for, what people woke up early for this morning, was that fight. To, to actually understand the fight, understand the result, and then understand what it means for all of those involved. So the best way to summarize this fight is, it was a battle of territory, and it's one that Spence lost without necessarily being one that Sean Porter won. So the best way to explain that was when you have an orthodox fighter against a southpaw fighter, either side can make life easy for themselves by just drifting to the side of their lead hand. So if you're a southpaw, you just want to be moving to your right-hand side. If you're orthodox, you want to be moving to your left-hand side. And you want to dominate that space. And the reason you want to dominate that space, actually, is it frees up both your hands to attack while making it hard for your opponent to attack you. And what, so essentially, you're drifting that way, so you can throw your backhand and your lead hook, or backhand and a lead uppercut. And so that's what I would have expected Spence to do from the beginning, but if you actually watch the fight, he let Porter start drifting off to his left, and he established that territory. And instead, Spence set himself up to, to be the stalker. Now... Part of me was thinking, is he making good on his word? Because in the Garcia fight, he said, I wanted to prove that I could outbox him. But I don't want to do that again. For my next fight, I want to be far more entertaining. You know, I, want to, I want to have a war. That's what he said. And so in the first round, in the first half, 
he allowed Porter to have the territory. And Porter enjoyed that. And it was strange that Porter didn't stick to being a bit more lateral, so moving around in that circle like he was. And maybe he realised that Spence wasn't really battling for that, for that lead hand space. So then Porter said, actually, do you know what? I can rush this guy. And so Porter tests it out and it works. In the, so in the, by the first round, we've established that Spence isn't going to be that scientific. And we've established that Porter's not going to be that scientific. So then it's, it's, it's two key questions. Is Porter going to do damage with his lead hand and is Spence going to do damage with his backhand? By the end of that first round, they're the questions I'm asking myself. And as this fight progresses, what you see is, you see both men say, I want to find out how tough you are. And so Porter throws everything at Spence for 180 seconds of every round. And Porter does a lot of things that they're not conventional, but they're so effective. And what he's able to do is he throws a looping right hand, which stops you drifting off to your left. So an escape route potentially for Spence, if he wasn't willing to drift to his right, was to pull back and go to the left. But Porter's looping backhand meant that actually that lane suddenly closes off. So Porter's really good at not giving you much in the way of lateral movement unless you're prepared to fight for it. And that means being effective off the jab. And there's something about Spencer's jab that, it, and maybe it's just me, but it doesn't look mechanically right in the sense that it kind of looks like he pulls away with his jab as opposed to, to really shooting the jab. And I don't know if there's extra value in him actually shooting that jab as a southpaw, but you know, it, it's, a, it's a small point. So you get to the first third of the fight and the pattern's been established. Porter's going to bully him. He's going to rough him up for periods of the round. And then what Porter also does in periods of the round is he straightens up his punches. Just when Spence thinks it's all hooks and uppercuts, he'll throw a straight right down the middle. And Spence, who refuses to engage in any kind of lateral movement. So if you watch Spence, he moves in and out. His feet weren't lightning fast. And this isn't a criticism. This is clearly how he chose to fight. Because if Spence really wanted to, he could have been in and out. So you can see that the fight, actually, Spence's aim was to, was to dominate. Now, I think Spence really wanted to stop Porter. I, don't, I think he wanted to beat him up and stop him. I don't think this was a, I want to win 118, 110, or 120. It wasn't that. It was, I want to beat this guy up. And Porter was, I only have one option here, and that's to beat this guy up. And so, by halfway, I think we all knew we were, we were in for a classic. As, you know, you've seen the small adjustments, as I mentioned earlier. You know, Porter being able to vary the bent arm punches with the straight punches. And that always seemed to catch Spence off guard. Another thing that would catch Spence off guard was after the break, Porter tended to lead with the backhand. And Spence would pay for that because of his lack of lateral movement. And so he was getting picked off. And it didn't seem that Derek James was that interested in changing the tactics. Because you know, the rounds were nip and tuck and it depended ultimately on what you liked. Did you like the raw aggression and ruthlessness of Porter? Or that magnificent controlled bodywork that Errol Spence seemed to be engaged in. And there are discussions that Spence was throwing his shots low. And he's been pulled for that before. But it's, a, it's, it's almost like this modern trend in boxing where when they're throwing those kind of modified hooks to the body, 
they sort of over exaggerate that shoveling motion. So the way I was taught to throw those sort of punches is they're just they're short, snappy punches. You just pop them in because you don't need a lot of force to get the right I mean, to get the right outcome. But what you're seeing with guys like Spence is they'll over rotate one way and then shovel up the other. And the risk of that, especially with someone like Porter, is you know, if he pulls back or if he moves the wrong way, you end up hitting him low when you didn't intend to. But Spence by no means is the only one who does that. And you know. The point was made that Porter shorts are also quite high. So, a bit of gamesmanship there. But that's what makes this fight exciting. But but by that halfway point, you're looking at this fight going, this is a classic. And I don't think the tempo of the fight is going to change. Neither man looked like they were really getting tired. But but still, you saw this high quality. And, you know, regularly they're telling you this is more punches than Spencer's faced, you know, in a fight thus far and so forth. And so you have to give Porter his due. He has this uncanny ability, and this is the one thing you have to respect about Porter. Wherever his feet are, wherever he finds himself, whatever position, he's able to let a shot go. And that means you can't switch off. There were times where he'd be in a clinch and he'd contort himself in order to throw an uppercut. And it didn't look like it had much on it. But in those 10-ounce gloves, you feel everything. And so Porter's just able to keep chipping away, chipping away at you. And I think it's more a test of your mental resolve than your physical resolve. And I think what, if you look back at some of his key fights, like the Danny Garcia fight, Danny Garcia folded under that level of physical intensity. I think Thurman did a better job. Now, whether he did a better job than Spencer withstanding this, I don't know. But what Thurman was able to do was use that, that creation of distance to then match what Porter was doing. So Thurman's hardest shots were on the left side as well, which is unusual, but, but you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a side discussion. You know, Porter's ability to load that pressure up, as we saw against Malinagi, it can force people to break. And I think the one thing we give Spence credit for in this instance, he didn't fold. He stood tall and he was resolute. And he kept working. In fact, both men kept working. This was one of those battles where you have two legitimately tough men going at it, but just in different ways. You know, Spence, Spence was you know looking for the body and then looking for the head. Porter was looking for the head, then kind of trying to get to the body. And it was that interesting battle, but it still boils down to the fact that as long as Spence refused to be lateral, the geography of the fight was controlled by Porter. Because it left Spence going back in straight lines, which is the worst thing you can do against Porter. And this was all sort of the theme. As Porter started to tie, you could see his work rate you know, starting to decline you know, over the months. The punches weren't as hard. They were plentiful, but they weren't as hard. He wasn't as dynamic. You know, he'd try and G himself up partway through a round in order to get that energy back. But it was, it was starting to catch up with him. The body work was starting to catch up with him. And that culminates in round 11 where Spence hits him. And it's one of those weird knockdowns because, yes, the glove touched, but it wasn't really a he dropped him. As good as the punch was, that's the punch you feel if it had been thrown 100 times in that round, Porter probably would have taken it. But credit to Spence because there wasn't a gap. When he threw that punch, there wasn't a gap. It's almost like he sensed that Porter would separate his hand from his chin. 
and then the the, you know, the Spencer left hook did the rest. And so it's in so you look at that fight and it's really impressive and you go, okay. Well, split decision, which I think is fair because it depended entirely on what you liked. If you like the just the all out, you know, balls to the wall, ruthless aggression that Sean Porter is all about, then an eight four in his favour makes perfect sense because that kind of was the Porter story in the fight. If you admired the courage and the bravery of Spence added to the more intelligent and actually the cleaner work and the more effective work in terms of just, you know, what each punch was doing to a fighter, then you'd give it to Spence 8-4. I can understand that. So the split decision is more reflective of what box, boxing judges prefer and what they offer additional rewards for. And, you know, fans will say, well, they should all be rewarding the same thing. Not true, because it's a sport of interpretation, ultimately. It's more art than science. So I can understand that, but I think the right man won. Just because I don't remember Spence being in that much trouble in the fight. I think he was in more trouble in the Brook fight than he was in this fight. Which, which we'll come on to later when we start to talk about Sean Porter, but... I felt the scorecards, nothing screamed robbery, split decision, I'm okay with. The gap between the two was, yeah, there were such contrasting approaches to essentially the same problem that you were always going to reward one more than the other. It just depended which side of the fence you fell on. So now you have Errol Spence as a unified world champion with two belts, probably the two more meaningful titles in the sport. And then, obviously, Pacquiao's got the third, and Terence Crawford's got the fourth, although in the PBC world, there is no fourth. And you look at his career trajectory and you go, okay, they've done this the right way. Because essentially what this fight was, was Sean Porter established, accepted monster in the division. A man who will give everyone hell and has given everyone hell. If you're less than 100%, you're not beating Sean Porter. And then you've had Spence who's been carefully built up to this moment. And in the boxing world, what people said was, we're going to find out a lot about Spence. The expectation was actually that Spence would put on a masterclass. And I think he could have done. But there would have still been questions about how tough is he. What's it going to be like for him when he's in with Crawford and it gets tough? And what Spence is showing you is when it gets tough, he's not backing away. He's not taking a backward step. And he's got it in him to, to gut it out. That's what he showed yesterday. In terms of technical finesse, we might see that in the next fight. We might not. But at the, based on that fight there, I don't think there are many questions left around Spence. I'm still a bit worried about his lack of lateral movement. But this has been true in a lot of fights. And there might come a point against someone like Crawford who does move in multiple dimensions where you can't be a static target. Because your body will get savaged. You know, you might get outthought tactically. So I think there's more things for Spence to work on to become that all-time great. But it also puts to bed these notions that, you know, had Floyd stuck around, Spence would have given him all kinds of help. Don't believe that's true. Floyd moves in so many different dimensions that, nah, nah. There isn't a version of Spence that could have beaten a version of Floyd, in my opinion. But you never know, man. That's all ifs, buts, and maybes. But I guess, you know, we've seen the aftermath of this fight and now we understand where the direction of travel is. 
obviously with what happened in the ring post-fight, we now understand that it's likely to be Danny Garcia. So Spencer's probably going to work his way through all the PBC 147 guys, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. And I think, actually, in terms of building a Hall of Fame CV, this is exactly the way you want to go. Well, you ready to fight me? We all know I hit a lot harder than him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we can get it on. Like I said, tables turn. I told Al, line him up. I'm going to knock him down. So, I've been calling Danny out for a long time, too. So, I'll fight Danny Garcia or anybody else that's in the top world to wait to be. For sure. It's all about... So, I have no problem with, with the Danny Garcia fight. It poses a different set of questions for Errol Spence. I think it's that move away from the raw aggression of Sean Porter to something a bit more considered. You know, Danny likes to be the counter-puncher, do a little bit more of the back foot. Surprise people, the tempo will be a bit slower. So it'll be interesting to see if Errol Spence wants to work at a higher pace, which is what's generally caused Danny Garcia all kinds of trouble. So when Thurman forced the pace, you know, Garcia struggled a bit. And when Porter forced the pace, we saw Danny Garcia visibly wilt. So that will be interesting. You know, I just think, and and I'll come back to this. I think last night was one of those nights when everything about boxing made perfect sense. You've got the the young guy who's meant to be the next in charge on his way up. And you had Sean Porter, who's ultimately that gatekeeper to greatness. If you can beat me, then you have a chance of being great. And you had that fight happen. And it delivered. Not only did it deliver, but even in the whole broadcast, you suddenly have all these guys like Thurman, Garcia's involved. It's just, this is high-level boxing. And we haven't seen that. And I know people talk about there have been bigger pay-per-view events, and I accept that. But we haven't seen a fight of that significance in a while where you're looking at it going, this is the test we wanted to see. And now he's come through that, although he hasn't come through it cleanly. And I'll go back to what Wilder said at the beginning of the program. We'd have wanted a clear win. But on the upside, I guess what happens is this sets up the legitimacy of anyone that says there should be a rematch. Because you'd want to see it. I think the rematch will go differently. I think Errol will, will box a lot more intelligently. There'll be a lot more foot movement. And he'll use the, the perimeter of the ring a lot more. But at least, you know, it keeps the money in this PBC stable. And it reduces the need for Errol Spence to get involved with Terence Crawford. So what does that mean for Crawford? It's, it's, it's hard for Crawford at the moment. Because he can't, he's not getting these legacy type fights. And these are the fights that he needs. But ultimately, you saw two men go at it in a way that I just think is a fantastic advert for boxing. You know, we, we've seen a lot of things where fans have been disappointed, but last night is one of the few times where universally boxing fans have said that was what we wanted to see. And so kudos to both those guys. And, you know, it was good to see in the post-fight conference that there was a natural respect and appreciation of each other's abilities. Can't make excuses. Um, this was a fantastic fight tonight. Um, you know, I have to definitely have to take a look back. I I felt comfortable a majority of the rounds. Um, really, the the one round I didn't feel comfortable in, obviously, was the round my hand touched the, the canvas. But other than that, I felt very comfortable through this fight. Uh, I tried to sh- stay poised and you know stay within whatever my corner was asking me to do, make the necessary adjustments, so on and so forth. So, for me to say that was a robbery, you know. Not gonna hear me say it. Sorry. 
Uh, it was definitely a tough fight. Um, I knew that coming in. Like I said, he's a tough, rugged fighter. He always comes in shape. He always comes ready to fight. And um, that's what I was looking for. His skills are a little bit better than he thought they was. What you think? Hey, I think they are. You sure? Hey, I. You're more tougher than skills, though. Yeah. That was a little bit better than you thought they was going to be, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. for sure, for sure. Appreciate you. I man. give you your respect. I give you just do. All right, all right. <laughs> you got to fight over it now so I can give you just do. <laughs> <laughs> Moments like that, you really love boxing, don't you? Like, no other sport can can bring people who, who were screaming at each other a week before into that mutual appreciation and respect for each other. So that's absolutely brilliant. But here's the elephant in the room now. I think as British boxing fans, we now need to really appreciate what Kell Brook did in winning that IBF world title from Sean Porter. Yes, that Sean Porter physically is completely different from the Sean Porter you see now. If you look at the two, you know, five years apart, Sean Porter is a lot more dense physically. So he's got that, I think in bodybuilding, they call it muscle maturity, where you can just see it's harder, it's denser. He's got that, that grown man build to him now. But tactically, it was the same issue. So when you say, well, what did Kell Brook do that Errol Spence didn't do? And where Kell was really good was he utilized his height advantage over Sean Porter. And he forced Sean to, to come in low. And whenever Sean would come in low, Kell would just use his forearm to keep him pinned, move him off. He used his, Kell was really good at using his arms to maneuver you. And it's very subtle if you don't notice it. He would just pin you for half a second force you to resist that, and then as you come up, bam, it adds force to the punches. You know, for all of the criticism we give Kel for the Tenerife and the Jojo Dans and the Biziers and the Frankie Gavins and all the letdowns, one thing that cannot be debated or disputed is that Kel Brook's ring IQ is unbelievable. You know, when you watch him against Porter, what he did better than Errol Spence was he was able to just make those those short, sharp movements that always had Sean Porter thinking. And then from those movements, he could still punch. So he could keep a relatively high pace without looking like he's delivering a relatively high pace. And then at that point there in his career, he was so light on his feet that he could control distance. So he could often catch Porter coming in. And that's why he was able to, for me, to, to beat... Sean Porter far more convincingly than Errol Spence did and sustained very little damage coming back. And so we now need to look and go, well, actually, what would happen if Kelbrook had 80% of what he had in 2014? What could he do in this mix here? And could he have this sequence of fights? Could Al look after him in a way that he could get five or six fights with these guys? Maybe challenge for a title, but definitely help make more money for Al Heyman and PBC. I think that's a very interesting question. But what's for sure is Kel Brook's win against Porter now has to be seen as one of those better achievements. And that in itself gives him the right to say, if Thurman comes back, I'll fight him. I'll fight the, the loser of Errol Spence versus Danny Garcia. I might even have a fight with Pacquiao. But to do that, he has to align himself with Al Heyman. And I don't know if the Kel Brook Brains Trust is strong enough to understand that. But no, I did leave that going, wow, you know, Kel Brook's achievements a lot because Kel had to sustain a lot of that pressure too. But we'll see, you know, does this create the need for Kel to fight anyone meaningful? 
It depends on his next fight. If it's at 147 and if it's against a contender. Because if it's not, then we kind of have to leave him to to the box that says careers that could have delivered a lot more. But as always, guys, thank you very much for listening. You know, please leave a review if you haven't done so yet. You know, the, the reviews are the ones that I read and I try and find ways to make the show better. You know, by all means, follow on Twitter at Highfield Boxing. Let's keep the conversation going there. Let's also have the conversation on Instagram at Highfield Boxing. And as always, enjoy, like it, share it, tell your friends, because this is one of those ways where one of the one of the more interesting voices in boxing can get heard. And maybe as this grows, it will force the other outlets to be a bit more honest and a bit strip more straight down the line in terms of what they deliver for the fans. But as always, thank you very much for listening. It is always appreciated and have a good day.